But the fortunate thing that I can say about Wali and also kind of seeing the perseverance of my family is that it brought us together Mm -hmm. around him because in so many ways I could see our family could have been kind of a little bit, a little bit more dispersed in our interactions. But Wali really offered us a sense that, Hey, we have to support him. We have to come together. We have to stick together. And uh, I'm really thankful to God and I, that we have a family that does not have a lot of old emotional wounds. And so we could, we do not have a lot of bickering. We've always been able to come around Wali in a very gracious manner. And that actually proved the resilience of our family relationships, if if you understand what I mean. And so that has been the reward that I feel like in a mixed blessing kind of way, we see Wali as he has fostered our unity and our sense of of solidarity in the family is around around this issue. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombad, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Anya Fombad, and today we will continue our discussion about mental health in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month. If you or someone you know may be going through a mental health crisis, struggling emotionally, or has concerns about their mental health, please visit our website at www.livingafricanpodcast.com for helpful resources. Now, today we will continue our focus on schizophrenia. I will be talking to two people who have been personally impacted by schizophrenia to give you different perspectives from a patient, family, and healthcare professional. We have here today Donald and Arnold Fosser. Donald is an aspiring gospel artist who has a 16-year history with schizophrenia and is currently stable from the therapy he is taking. He strongly desires to educate the world about this disease and to lift off the stigma that goes with it. As a young man aspiring to be a professional communicator in the business world, he thinks schizophrenia is not an obstacle to his dreams, and in all these things, the sky is his limit. So I want to welcome Donald and Arnold Fosser here to the show. Welcome, guys. Oh, Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much, Anya. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming. I am so excited about this episode about schizophrenia. I am really excited to hear your stories because most of the times we always 
hear either one perspective from a patient or a healthcare professional, but to have both of you here together to really give us that full circle. I am super excited for this. So um, we will start with Donald. So I, I just wanted you to tell us your story, right? So in this case, you are the schizophrenia patient. You are the patient who has a, a history of schizophrenia. If you could just tell us your story, I will really be glad. All right. Thank you, Anya, for, for the opportunity to let my story out. That's the first thing. It's been, say, 16 years right now. I've been struggling with the disease. And practically it's been, let's say, four years since I, I, I began aspiring or hoping to let my story, to put my story out to the world or contribute somehow to the advancement of, of how people look at this, the relationship between uh, the patient and, and his surrounding and, and every other thing that has to come in, in place. All right, my story, my story, it's, uh, well, it's kind of full of many episodes, many things, but I would just like make a resume or summary of what I've been going through or how it started. Actually, I've uh, I didn't as a young person as a, as a as an adolescent. I wasn't schizophrenic from my from birth, or I it's something which developed. I think from the year two thousand and and four, two thousand and four. Before then, I I, I just finished uh, my advanced level. I had just had my advanced level certificate. From my high school, I did very well. I I was very brilliant, and I've always been very brilliant from my childhood up to this moment. So I think it all began when I in my because in all I must also mention that I'm a very very devoted Christian, and in my Christian work, I have been trying to get closer to God in or to in, in to see how much I can please Him as my, 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 my creator and all that. And it pushed me right now. I was in, I'm a Presbyterian Christian. That's the Presbyterian church in Cameroon. I was baptized. I was raised and nurtured in the Presbyterian church. But somewhere around 2003, I got involved in one of these Pentecostal churches, these new generation churches. And that is actually where my, I started um, having very clear symptoms of the disease. I think that that was about 2004, and I was at the I was at my third year in university. I was just about getting my my first degree. My first day in French, they call it licence in here in Cameroon in French, right. but in, yeah, in English it's the first degree in public relations. I was doing, as I said, I've. Uh, develop the love, the love, or the the the, the love for communication yes. and public relations, business administration, and all that. So that's what that was my field. And actually, I was doing very well in my class. I was almost, I was always always among the first, let's say, the first twelve students. I was very brilliant. And then, and then, all of a sudden, this issue started. It started manifesting. The, I, I started getting so violent in all any small task that that I did, and anything that I when I'm stressed up, I always react 
overboard. I, I like breaking plates in the house, tearing my shirt. Uh, when I'm listening, when I'm listening, I'm, I'm dancing to to gospel music. I would, I, I would strip myself, not entirely, of course. Yeah. But like, I, I have my shirt on and I have my inner wear on. Mm-hmm. But you see, I would, I would be dancing so frank, uh, frank, frank, uh, in a frenzy, and you know, and so that, and then uh, I started, I started inflicting actual injury by using like knives on my body, mm. cutting myself and doing all that. It got my family and I was rushed to the hospital after one incident diagnosed of schizophrenia. I had to be hospitalized for for the next three months. That was in 2020, 2004, sorry. Yeah. Here in Yaoundé at the Jamo Hospital, the Jamo uh, yeah, Hospital in Yaoundé. I was there for three months and I was put on high sedatives because I was very, very excessively violent. So they had to just sedate me all the time till I got better. So from then up to now, I've been in and out of hospital, in and out of psychiatric homes, in and out of prayer churches and things like that. So however, as the good Lord will have it, I got into a situation where I, I was relatively calm for about two to three years. So I got stabilized in one way or the other. And I, I was able to meet my life partner. We got married. Wow. We even started a home by ourselves. But the, the crisis still resurfaced. And I had to always be sedated once in a while when I got so violent and all that. So in a nutshell, that's the experience, how it all started and how it got you know, out of hand and how my family had to intervene and try to rescue me from, and many a times I can really, I haven't, I've even had to take overdose, uh, the overdose of medication and all that, because when I got so frustrated, I was so downcast. As you know, uh, part of the, one of the, the symptoms of schizophrenia is depression. You are depressed. You are really, really, really depressed. So sometimes when I get so depressed, I think of suicide. I say my life is, does not mean anything again to myself, to me. I don't find any reason for living. Why should I be living? Look at all my, my mates, my classmates, everybody that's successful. I'm here without my first degree at the age of 35 or 30 to 35 years. And I just got so, so frustrated. And at that time also, I, I, I wasn't married. I said, how will I ever be married? How will I ever raise my own home? Will I be able to function right. as a normal human being in the society? And I felt really, really bad. And many at times I, I struggled to end my life like that. I think, but as the good Lord will have it, every time that I do that, I won't stay alone or stay unnoticed. I will reveal it to my surround my immediate entourage, my family, and I'll immediately I'll be rushed to the hospital and they will do this, this, this intoxication and all that and I, and they revive me mm-hmm. and I, I wouldn't I won't pass out. So thank God I'm still alive and well that's just a nutshell. There's experiences are too many that you know you, you can imagine sixteen years to seventeen years you can imagine it's it's, it's a long it's a, it has been a long ride. Are they like maybe one or two experiences that were very impactful to you that you can account for, like that you really want to share with people to really understand um, the intensity of schizophrenia? Yeah, 
that thank you for that question. It's two incidents that I'll mention that really, really impacted me and really put scars in my heart, in my mind. And up to now, I still find it very difficult to to live out of it. Firstly, it was my, I was being, my visit, or let me, no, visit is cordial, but that's not, yeah, yeah. But my, my going into a herbal home, uh, not herbal home, it actually is a, because when we look at it from now, when I now examine it at this time in my life, mm-hmm. I discovered that it was just a, 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 a charlatan, a charlatan native doctor mm-hmm. whom my mom and my parents, my my siblings were being advised to take me to. So this this was in in Bamenda, in the in, in the Man, in Mancon village. They call it Tamase. Mm-hmm. So I was it was a traditional practitioner or a native doctor native doctor where I was taken to his, to his uh, concession and I was being incarcerated there for about a month and a half and I was severely tortured. I was, I, I was put in chains. I was constantly being beaten until I, at one point I even had no, I even bled from my nose. I was put in chains. I was so, I, because at that time I couldn't imagine, I don't know, I was asking myself, why are you treating me like this? Um, I don't have any problem. Why are you, why are you people, you know, doing this to me? So I, I got very, very agitated. I would break, I would break things, break, you know, I was violent. So that's one, my, uh, actually, and the second experience I, I had was in another hybrid home. Actually, this one was in Babungo. Uh, Babungo is some is is a, is a, is a subdivision is a subdivision in here in, in the northwest region of Cameroon. That has uh, in the in the college in Dub, in the Dub region. It's a, Babungo is something that is a, it's a it's a small village. So this there's this herbal center psychiatric psychiatric home where I was being put into. I mean, I don't know if you ever understand. But leaving everybody around you is a mental patient. There's mm-hmm. nobody you, you, you see who is normal. I mean, yeah. you cannot live in that kind of... And if you, as a person, you, who, who, you, know, you know yourself, you know, you, you, have, you, you know who you are, mm-hmm. and you find yourself in the midst of mental patients, everybody doing his own wacko thing, or wacko, you know, you know, everybody is kind of like crazy around you. <laughs> it's very funny, but it's not, it's not that funny. So I was there for, for five good months. Five good months I was in that place. I, I hadn't, they, they were professional doctors who always came in once in a while to see the patient. And I was every month, their visit, their visit to the, the psychiatric home was every month. Mm-hmm. So every month when they come in, they will examine all the patients and then they will discharge those who think have are getting well and can go home and continue their treatment at home. But unfortunately for me, every time that this medical specialist came along, I was never die. I was never discharged for the, for the next five five months. I was always being just uh, examined and left in my room. I wasn't discharged for five months. So I was five months among uh, 
yeah, crazy people, everybody, anyway, by, you know, uh, anyway, you know, I'm somebody whom I, I, I love humor. Uh, I'm very humorous in my, in my, in my life. So I wasn't really, it wasn't really hard on me there because I used to, it just gave me some laughs to, 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 to see how uh, mental people behave. Everybody is talking his own thing, going his own walk away. So I, I, up to now, I, I still have memories, fond memories of my, uh, my, my friends. I'll call them now in quotes, my friends who were all patients, they were all patients of the psychiatric home. Everybody had his own unique problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I had a very bad time there. I was also like in the, in my first experience in the native doctor's home at Tamafi, I was beaten, chained. Many times my legs were swollen. It was, it was not very pleasant. So that's, that those are the two experiences I could, I could really get that remind me. Yeah, I, I'm I'm so sorry you had to go through those experiences. And this just goes to highlight the need for better mental health services, especially in Africa or at least in our African communities. And I just wanted to make this clear that no family, especially in the African community, I mean, we have a very strong sense of family and no family will willfully send away their family member, you know, to be tortured. That's definitely not the case. I mean, I actually have, I have a brother who has a pre-existing condition. He has a seizure disorder. And that was something way back in the nineties where not many people were familiar with it, especially when everybody else in the, in the family was normal. Like everybody, you know, we had all kinds of you know, input the community. I mean, people are yeah, innocently exactly. trying exactly. to help. Yeah, the family is desperate to help. You know, so it's like at that time of confusion, every input from anybody else, like someone would tell you, "Hey, I know this person who can help," or "I know this person who offers services." So in that time of desperation, it's like you would do anything and everything to help your family member to be better. So um, I just wanted to clarify that in case anyone was thinking otherwise, like there's no reason for any family member, especially considering the, I mean, I know Wally's family and we went to school together. We all went to school together, even though Wally was, you know, you were ahead of me, but it's such a wonderful family. And, you know, in that time of desperation, which I can actually relate to coming from my own um, experience with my brother, we went to all prayer homes. We went, we did almost everything to help my brother out, you know, but it did not work. So that just also highlights the fact that we actually need a more advanced and a better means of providing a mental health services in our African communities, especially in Africa, because those might have been the only options to provide these services. And we can obviously see that um, those options were not optimal at all. Again, I am really sorry to hear about that, but um, I just wanted to go like, how has this affected you and your family personally? I believe Arnold can also jump in, you know, to, to contribute to this question. The, the final result or how it affected me was that it just kept me depressed. It just kept me constantly depressed, constantly depressed, constantly frustrated. I'm somebody, I've always been very, very creative, very, very, you know, full of talents of God's grace and everything. But I couldn't imagine my life being turned out into this nightmare that wasn't ending. So it's just put me in depression. I was so depressed. 
I withdrew myself for all those while. I did not involve myself in any public activity. I just withdrew myself from the world for the, for the, for the, it's only now, a little bit two or three years ago that I started opening up myself to the world. But for all those years, I was just withdrawn. I just felt depressed and I totally heartbroken and, and discouraged about life, discouraged about everything because all my dreams, all my, I could see all my dreams being tied, being shattered to the ground and it's, it was just something very tragic for me because, and many people don't understand what was happening. That's the most important, that's the, the funniest thing about yes. it. So I wasn't being understood. I wasn't being understood. Even my immediate family, they didn't understand what I was going through. They, yes, they may have loved to, they may have been trying to help me, but yeah, I, they, I didn't, I was alone. So these things, it just, I was lonely. I was depressed. Again, I'm sorry to hear that. Arnold, how did that also affect you from your own perspective? Yeah, so for those who don't know, Wally is my junior brother. We, I'll speak from a very personal level first and then kind of uh, as a family member watching things happen. So Wally, growing up, was pretty much my best friend, right? I was not as close to my other siblings as I was to Wally. So, and I call him Wally. Yeah, he, he's called Donald, but yes. I refer to him as Wally because he's, that's, the, that's the name we call him by in the family. Yeah, so he was my best friend, and uh, there were several changes that happened as we aged out of our teens. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that he was it was different. There were there were some behaviors that honestly I didn't really judge him for. There was nothing I thought was was out of the ordinary. I thought he was just excited about life. There were times where he seemed quite exuberant about uh, certain religious involvements, and he would his sleep and certain patterns of his behavior became disrupted, but I never thought much of it. I just saw him as my brother and we would still hang out. I think things started to get worse on a personal level for me when I realized that he was being admitted to the hospital or he wasn't doing well in school. And then when I came to the U.S., which was in 2001, I started hearing more about, you know, his I think I think the one time that it, it really impacted me was when I was I was called to say he attempted suicide, mm. and that just shook me to the core. So at this point, I am dealing with losing my best friend, basically, mm. in my family, and so it was quite difficult. I went through a, a, a grieving process personally. I struggled to make sense out of what was going on with him. There were days that I would cry and wish and pray that I would I could do something different to help him. But there were often times I would go for months without hearing from him too. So it was kind of a bizarre situation. I wasn't getting a lot of information. When I went home one time, then I realized how bad it had been because I saw him. I saw how much he had changed physically. I saw the scars that he's talking about. And that just shook me to my core. And uh, obviously it spurred my increased interest in trying to understand what is going on with him and to understand more deeply what it is he's dealing with, uh, which is part of why I pursued or at least branched out into the career uh, that I am in right now. Um, So part of it has been my own atonement for like, I I felt like if I had to do, if I could do something to help him, it would be great. Uh, From a family perspective, as a member of the family, I see how all of 
our family was affected. In some ways, they were negative because anytime a family is faced with a member with chronic severe illness, so I'm talking about could be, you know, type 1 diabetes mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, uh, you know, you talk about uh, is it a brother or cousin of yours who has a yeah. seizure disorder? Seizure disorder yeah. and, and you can tell that the weight is on the family because everyone is worried. The parents are worried. There are emo- there are emotional and psychological tolls that are being paid because everyone is at an increased level of stress. Stress just kind of plays into our own defenses, and we want to you know arguments break out and things like that, and you know people you know, argue about whether it's money or decisions that are making being made for treatment and things like that. Yes. But the fortunate thing that I can say about Wali and also kind of seeing the perseverance of my family is that it brought us together mm-hmm. around him. Because in so many ways I could see our family could have been kinda of a little bit a little bit more dispersed in our interactions. But Wali really offered us a sense of hey we have to support him. We have to come together. We have to stick together. And uh, I'm really thankful to God and I that we have a family that does not have a lot of old emotional wounds. Yeah. And so we could we do not have a lot of bickering. We've always been able to come around Wali in a very gracious manner. And that actually proved the resilience of our family relationships, if, if you understand what I mean. Yes. And so that has been the reward that I feel like in a mixed blessing kind of way, we see Wali as he has fostered our unity and our sense of, of solidarity in the family is around, around his issue. Right. That's a really good way to put it. Right. And, um, right. and I know you mentioned, you know, that kind of influenced your choice, you know, to pursue your career. So I just wanted, you know, I know you had mentioned that, you know, this whole experience influenced your career choice. And um, I just wanted you to give the listeners a little bit of, you know, your background, like about yourself, just a brief background about yourself. Uh, Yeah. So thank you. So I currently work as a nurse practitioner. It's pretty much a registered nurse who went into a little bit more school, uh, got a master's degree, and I specialize in treating mental illness. So I have been doing that for going on seven years. Prior to that, I worked in the emergency department as an emergency nurse for about three, four years. During that time is when I started to see patients come in into the department who were very similar to what I had observed with with Wali. And it just kind of like, I I, kind of just had kind of an epiphany, like "This uh, this is not just one thing. This is something that is going on. And I remember even reading about it in school, in nursing school. And so when I saw the number of people that, that, you know, I started, I started, I started actually attending to these patients almost like I was attending Diwali. It was almost like a, mm. like I said, this act of atonement for the things that I couldn't do. But then I realized some of these patients would return to the emergency department repeatedly and they had a variety of problems, right? Uh, you know, but I decided, you know, if I, if I could learn more about what's going on. So I decided to go back to school and, and so I currently work now in uh, for the county of Santa Clara in California, and I do uh, I have a private practice on the side. Awesome, awesome! Thank you so much. That's very, very impressive. You know, like turning your experiences into something beautiful, and also using that to help other people who are going through a similar experience. 
Now, I know that, you know, in, in our African community, and I mean, as someone who grew up in Africa, Cameroon specifically, we really did not know anything about schizophrenia. So, um, and I believe a lot of people still don't know anything about schizophrenia. So when you see uh, most of the people that were little, always on the streets, homeless or looking a little bit shabby, we call those people crazy people, right? We call them, right, I, mean, right. I remember growing up even like my cousins and I, when we see those kind of people on the streets, we just start running because we always had this impression that they were very aggressive and they're just going to start following <laughs> right. you and chasing you around and stuff right. like that. So, um, which is an ex- extremely ignorant way to think, by the way, because these people, right. we never, we, we, we thought they deserved it, right? We thought they must have done something bad or something crazy right. to, to end up right. that way. It was an inside job or they gave themselves their lives away and now they're going crazy, you know. And also the movies, the African <clears throat> movies that we actually watched way back then did not help the situation because most of the people in these movies who are crazy on the street either did something. So we always had the mm-hmm. impression that these are not necessarily patients, but they did something to deserve that. And um, Wally, I, uh, uh, Donald, I really know that I, I would imagine that you must have gone through a whole lot of opinions from the community or even maltreatments from the community while you were at basically your lowest point, you know, during your episodes. So um, I just wanted to ask you, Donald and Arnold, like what has, you know, I mean, like how do you think that the African community sees patients with schizophrenia? All right. Well, the thing I would say is that actually there is, if I can, if I say zero or at least a majority, let's say it's up to 90%. There's 90% ignorance on this disease. Because why? Because everybody thinks, you know, the African mentality is, is so superstitious. Yes. They're so superstitious and they think everything dealing with uh, uh, mental disorder has a, really, has a, has a bad draft or an underlying tone, an underlying back, uh, history of witchcraft. Yes. Uh, that's it. That's it. There's a lot of there's a lot of ignorance because I don't think if there were there were good centers of healthcare, I got involved in. I, I was diagnosed of schizophrenia. I would have suffered less if there was awareness. But it's because there was no awareness. Everybody is looking at it and say, ah, it's something that is you know superstitious. That's why I was taken to two or three, no, even four. For uh, exorcist, ex, uh, they call them exorcist, exorcist people. All these uh, charlatans and all these people who who broke around, mm-hmm. saying they are they 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 are native doctors, right. and that's where they torture you. They don't even have any pedagogy, pedagogy of solving your problem. Yeah. You see, they will do this to you, chain you. When they see that chaining, it does not work. When they see chaining does not work, they will. Yeah, exactly. They'll right. try something else, more acute, more, more, more painful. You know, as for me, there's a big, there is, is really, is really ignorance. There's a lot of ignorance around, around the disease. People don't even believe many people, when you even talk about schizophrenia, a, just in Africa, I mean, people say, but what are you talking about? Don't, what's that? They don't even know. No, many people don't know. So, it's my appeal that that's why exactly I am really very happy to be in this uh, in this kind of uh, forum, ed- educative forum, because many people don't know about the disease. That's all I can say. Right. 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 
just to, yeah, you, so you're, you're both right. Uh, I totally agree that there is a big gap in terms of the information and awareness about not only schizophrenia, but mental illness in general. I think that that's why, again, Wally, again, just echoing Wally on this, uh, that it's so important that we talk about this in an open manner and, and get more people kind of aware. So to answer your question, the way people see it, the studies do indicate that many people have, they, they have a sense of it, it might be caused by witchcraft or there's mm-hmm. a spiritual cause for it or they blame the family or somebody, you know, it had to do with drugs. But usually the way schizophrenia presents in how the society recognizes it, in other words, the madman on the street who is half naked, covered in dust and, you know, you know, hair is all, you know, matted down and, and, and you know, just mumbling to themselves. Usually they're yeah. eating from the garbage or yes. doing something like that. That is typically not what, in fact, most schizophrenia cases present as. That yes. is very dire. That's when someone maybe has been out and has not been in touch with people and just been has been abandoned by family. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times people struggle with it. It's very closeted. You know, families don't talk a lot about uh, the experience of their loved ones. Uh, loved ones, like Wally said, is a very isolating disease because people cannot relate to what yes. you're experiencing. So, but just to talk about typically what, what it presents as, so it is a disease of the brain. It affects just like any mental illness, right? It, it, it can affect your emotions and your behavior. But a key factor in schizophrenia is the presence of delusions and hallucinations. So delusions are false beliefs that uh, maybe paranoid or people start thinking maybe they, you know, someone's about to attack them or yes. family members are bewitching them or you know sometimes it, it's centered oftentimes it, it can have a witchcraft or a, a religious depending on your background it can even have a kind of a government conspiracy type uh tones to the delusions uh sometimes it might be about uh, certain specific members of the family targeting you things like that mm-hmm. and on face value those may not come off as as bad or or odd, right? Because we, we sometimes have those, you know, yeah. but when we have more of it, uh, yes. for one ev- individual, it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the some of the delusions could also be, you know, being grandiose, uh, feeling like yes. you're, some people say they're God or they're Jesus or they're incarnate, yeah, uh, things like that. They have extra powers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but again, delusions are false beliefs. And then you also have hallucinations. And hallucinations are sensory experiences that appear real to the individual, but are not. Mm-hmm. So it would have to be with things they see, things they hear. Sometimes it would be body sensations. And so you can see how a combination of these two, the delusions and the hallucinations, and also sometimes a breakdown in uh, a processing information or expressing information. Mm-hmm. So they may have a breakdown in their language. And they may talk and it seems like it's disorderly or their ideas don't run one into the other. It's not coherent. And so you can see how this mixture of symptoms can create this picture of quote unquote crazy, right? Which is something that we've come to stigmatize, but which is just a, a symptom of a, of, of a disease that is very, very diagnosable. It's not bizarre in any way. Then you, yeah. you also have 
panic attacks, panic. You always you get you you just panic out of every you know the way very a small thing just causes you to panic. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.